Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's that time. time. Lock and load. The Michael Derry Show is on the air. That means it's Friday. Yes, it is. It's also 9 11. I'm glad that fell on a Friday this year. It gives us an opportunity to do. We would have done anyway.
was thinking last night, trying to put 9-11 into perspective, and I was imagining there are things that are really important in a news cycle, and they pass. We can't believe that they're not the top story anymore because they were so big. Ferguson would be a great example. In time, the name of the officer will fade. In time, the name of Michael Brown will fade. Maybe the name of that town for many people. They'll remember, uh, I can't remember if it was Kansas or Missouri, but was that Black Thug? I think he'd been robbing a sacky pack, and, and then he beat up the owner, and then he tried to kill the guy. I can't remember. But, boy, it was a big deal back then. And those things will come and go. They're news events that the news media benefits from. They make that story. They keep that story out there for as long as they can hold on to you. Like extending the stay at the theater, the run at the theater of a movie to milk just a little bit more out of it. Because they can only force feed you so much. Yet there are certain things that are more important, more significant, that will matter longer. And I was thinking in my lifetime if there was a single more important event than 9-11. And the answer, I think, is no. I, I don't you, – you could argue the symbolism of the wall coming down. Obviously, it was a big day when Ronald Reagan was shot. Ronald Reagan's election was bigger. But that's not pinned on any one day. Maybe you could say the day the votes came in or the day he was inaugurated, but you've already said there's a, de there's a debate. But this day was that important. You know, talking to people this week, some people said, you're going to do a big 9-11 thing or are you just going to? And we had several conversations about that. And what we decided was, the most important aspect of that day was how it changed the world. Obviously, we remember the people who died. We remember those who rushed into burning buildings. But the world changed. And in your life, for many of you, that day brought about a big change. Some of you moved to Texas who were working in New York. Some of you worked for a company that shut down. Some of you started a business in response to that. Some of you ladies decided you weren't going to work outside the home anymore. What was more important to you was you're going to stay home and raise your kids. So we thought we would simply open up the phone lines and let folks call in. And that might be a story of where you were on that day, or it could be a story of how your life has changed since then. 713-212-5874. It is also worth noting that three years ago, as we were remembering what Muslim terrorists had done to our people and to our country, that we were attacked yet again in Benghazi. And the death toll is not what is important. Yes, four people died. Yes, a, an ambassador died. And there is significance.
from a political, diplomatic sense. But the bigger point is what happened, how it happened, and the veil of secrecy that has been allowed in the highest ranks of our government in collusion with the media to prevent us from knowing what happened and how it was covered up and the lies that were told as a part of that. And I'm also sad to say, as we remember this day, that for all the references to never forget, we have forgotten. We've forgotten why it happened. Because people in the world hate us. And when we say never again, that's a lie. We're not doing the things necessary for never again. Bombings in Afghanistan aren't the never again. Our southern border is wide open. Absolutely, positively wide open. We're relocating Syrian refugees. Why? Make, make us feel good about ourselves? When we know that some of those people could have been the very brains behind this operation. Never forget, never again. I'm not convinced. Oh, of course it's Michael Berry. It's the Mike Berry Show. Michael Berry Show. calls today, so I'm going to ask you to get right to it. I'm doing great. No greetings and salutations. Just get right to your point, because that's what we want to hear. Scott, you're on the Michael Berry Show. Go. Hey, Michael. Thanks for letting some folks share their stories. I was a security manager at DFW Airport, uh, Terminal E for Delta Airlines. I was actually on duty that morning as things were transpiring. And, you know, all the agents, the police, and everybody start showing up at all the checkpoints. And, and, you know, we really didn't know what was going on until a little bit later, and then, you know, then the terminals get shut down, and then we evacuate airplanes, and, and it was one of those deals where it was probably a couple hours before we even knew what was really going on, and it was, as you can imagine, pandemonium. I mean, you know, once people trying to figure out where they're going and trying to figure out how to get from place to place, and when we started emptying airplanes with luggage, it was stacked up to the ceiling and the baggage claims. Uh, it was it was kind of a mess, and uh, there were a lot of people that were scared. We had people taking them off planes that just got on as we evacuated them, ran them out into the parking garages, get them out of the terminal. Uh, it was one of those deals that, you know, you're just kind of stunned a little bit as we start trying to evacuate terminals. And it was a couple of days before I was even able to leave the airport after that. So uh, it was a tough time. Uh, but there was a lot of good that came out of it. Uh, and, you know, I had a guy that we 
had to order to actually got in an argument with him because he wanted to bring a knife on the airplane two weeks before 9-11. Uh, wanted to bring a hunting knife on the airplane. He was denied and he got all upset. Well, that was two weeks before 9-11. One week, or well, two weeks after 9-11 when we first started flying, this gentleman sought me out in the terminal and he came up to me and he apologized to me. He, he found, he sought me out. He had a layover and he sought me out and he apologized. He said, he says, God, if I would have known what was going to happen just, you know, just two weeks later, I would have never been such a butt towards everybody. And that was one of the good stories that came out of it, you know, initially. Uh, and then, you know, when we hear over the radios that, you know, all those Delta airline planes were accounted for, that was, that was pretty important, you know, because we didn't know how many planes were involved. And uh, at that point in time, you know, we heard that. That was pretty nice. And I met my account manager. He was coming down the concourse. He was had a phone in each ear, and I'm running back and forth between checkpoints, checking on my security people. And he has a phone in each ear, and I'm walking past him, and he said another one just hit the Pentagon. And that's kind of when we knew that that uh, things had definitely changed. It was a rough day. Rough day. You know. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Of all the things that have happened in my lifetime, 50, 60 years from now, when I look back, at what I know will be, should be, remembered, studied in the history books. That's the day. And it's interesting that the further you get from it, the less it tends to affect people. To some extent, time heals. And my wife has always said there's a unique aspect to the American that history is not nearly as important as their future. And it's why she grew up in a home that was several hundred years old. And here we knock them down and move on. Ed Emmett, I'm looking at you. Because that's what we do. We don't, we don't hold on to the past. You know, some would argue we don't remember our past or preserve our past. But we were a very forward-looking people. And that's why I think it's important in the midst of that journey forward that we commemorate, we stop and remember. There's importance to that. But also, it's one of the data points we should then use to make decisions in the future. And that should not be lost, for sure. Casey, you're on the Michael Berry Show. Go ahead. Hey, Michael, how you doing? Uh, just to, I can remember I played uh, baseball at LSU Shreveport, and I had gone to work out that morning. And I came back, and my buddy said, oh, man, you know, I mean, it still chokes me up, you know, to think about it and to know that, uh, you know, I could have had a family member or somebody like that, you know, that would be impacted. I mean, specifically, what I remember is uh, a couple of days later, we had practice, coaches canceled practice, and this was at the LSU campus in Shreveport, Louisiana, which, if you remember, uh, they flew W out there for a little bit. Um, and, the, and I remember my coach telling us at that practice, 
he said, you know, as the B-52s are, are flying behind and doing touch and goes, you know, they, they did it all the time. He said, uh, you know, some of you guys are angry and, uh, and upset. Some of you, you don't know what to do. You know, 18, 19, 20. And, uh, you know, he said one in particular, I remember his dad was mobilized. I, I think he was a special officer or special forces, and he was immediately mobilized to the Middle East. Um, he just remembered getting a call from his dad saying, hey, bud, he said, I don't know where I'm going. He said, um, I don't know if I'm coming back. And um, I just remember our coach saying that. And he, got, he, he talked to that player, and uh, the feeling of, of anger, you know, just just goes across you. And, 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 and also, W's face, when he got off that helicopter, when he found out what had happened, I mean, just the, that was my fear, feeling. And uh, to this day, you know, it teaches you, I've learned, and a lot of other people have learned that, you know, you, know, you, you got to be cognizant of what's around you, especially when it comes to uh, relations with other countries, you know, and, um, and doing the right things. And, and that's one of the things that I admired about W is he went after it, man. You know, he didn't, he, he, he looked at his research, his team, he trusted them, and he did what he had to do. And, and I think a lot of that has just disappeared in a very short period of time. You know, seems like it was a long time ago, but this was just yesterday in the whole scheme of things. And uh, we're just not handling things right anymore, man. You know, and, and people need to, to look at the past and, and, and remember what happened and and uh, and and use that to, to judge what needs to happen in the future, you know. Well, I hope so. I uh, When we say never forget, I'm afraid that what people re- – want us to never forget is that we were attacked or never forget that people died. My problem is that I think we have forgotten why we were attacked, what types of people attacked us, and what types of attack they carried out. We've been over-focused on the means by which they take, they, they, they took, they, they did what they did and under-focused on the opportunity that still exists. So what did we do? We built an entire apparatus, the largest union, federal government union, in, in a matter of a couple of years, and it still exists today. It grows bigger every day. Butt diddlers at the airport. That was somehow how we remembered 9-11. We stole the privacy and the freedom. You can't talk about freedom and wave the flag and talk about what makes us great and then take away the freedom because people attacked us. You take away the freedom of the people who attacked, not us. That's not how you honor 9-11. This is the Michael Berry Show.
on 9-11. You know, I'd like to hear from a couple of you folks. There are a lot of people out, out there who you may not think, you may not Im- immediately think how 9-11 changed your life. But I know because I've had people over the years tell me that they had no intention of joining the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines. But after 9-11, within days, in some cases months, they went and signed up and were shipped off. That changes your life, can end your life. The profundity of influence the events of that day had on the American psyche and on whether you want to call them destinies or careers, futures, lives, are much deeper than just 3,000 people killed in towers or physical structures that were downed. Very deep and profound effect on millions and millions of Americans. Five years ago, 2010, George W. Bush left office in January of 09. A little over a year later, we talked to him about 9-11. Mr. President, 9-11 was a day that shook America and it changed your presidency. Tell me something about that day that you've never told anyone that may have changed our perspective, something shocking from that day. Well, uh, you know, what was shocking was that uh, the communications were so poor that the fog of war uh, really never lifted. I think one of the – I think a couple of points on that day I think people will be interested in. One, there was no humor that day except for a moment. When I called my parents, I finally found mother and dad. And I said, "Where are you?" They said, "Wisconsin." And my mother said, "I said to my mother, what are you doing there?" She said, "You grounded our plane." Right, love that line. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, wait happened, a second, your parents were in a motel. You say even better. That's right, outside of Milwaukee, <laughs> and uh, they had been grounded. You know, all planes were grounded. I think people will. Uh, one thing that people uh, don't know and, and and will when they read the book is that. I had this sickening feeling when when I heard that nine, uh, Flight 93 went down in Shanksville that uh, it was shot down on my orders, and uh, you know I'd, I'd given the order to shoot down planes after certain procedures had been followed, uh, and I did that in order to uh, you know just try to enhance our security, and uh, and then I heard 93 goes down, and I, there was a moment where I said, oh my goodness, this is. You know, I ordered the shoot down of a commercial air. Then I heard the story of Todd Beamer and and the other courageous passengers who who um, showed unbelievable courage. Um, the other interesting, I think people find interesting, is what happened when after I got back to the White House and Laura and I are in bed, and uh, an agent said, "Mr. President, the White House is under attack. Let's go." And we scrambled and hustled down to the basement mm-hmm. of the uh, White House, and uh, and uh, an airman said. Um, Mr. President, it was one of ours. And what had happened was one of the planes that was supposed to be patrolling the skies or was patrolling the skies was headed back to Andrews Air Force Base with the Wong's transponder signal. And people thought this was the final plane that was headed to the White House. Wow. Wow. To the phone lines we go. Gene, go ahead. Yes. So 
I was really used to the anxiety and the trepidation. I, I worked uh, in the service business. Gene, I- I'm sorry, but I got a terrible connection on you. I'm going to uh, hang up and call us back. Or, Ramon, can you call him back? And we'll get a better connection. We can't hear you. Lewis, go ahead. Michael, I was at uh, U.S. Foods delivering in Fort Mill, South Carolina that day. And I can remember uh, there was a lot of tension on the dock that, that morning. And I had went up to the cafeteria to get myself a cup of coffee. And I watched the whole thing unfold on the television. I saw the plane go in the building and... I, I really didn't comprehend what was going on other than re- realizing that they said we were under attack by these two planes. And I go back to my truck. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get anything on the radio but news on every channel. Back then, you had to rely on the payphone to call. And I, and I didn't have a cell phone then. And I couldn't I couldn't use the phone, but the, our phones were down. And they cut all communication out. But after that happened, uh, within an hour, it was like a kindness that came over everybody. Everybody was just kind, is overwhelmingly kindness. And when I finally, the same thing was I was worried about was I couldn't get a hold of my family. I couldn't, I couldn't find out how my kids were. And uh, I, I was, I was young. Then. I was 36 and uh, 14 years ago. And uh, I had to go. Once I found out they were okay, I had to go up there to New York to take a load of chicken of all things. Uh, right around the corner from where that place happened, a little uh, Chinese food place that ordered a tractor load of chicken that made his distributor. But the thing that made an impression on me was, and what's important was, I just want to make sure that my family was okay and that um, that they were safe. And, and when you can't communicate with somebody, especially through a payphone, which we relied on for so many years. Uh, that, that's a pretty hard pill to swallow, and uh, once I was able to find out they were okay, then I was okay. And uh, it just showed perspective that the most important thing at that time was my, my family and the, the kindness towards my fellow man. And- Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, today, I can just say that yesterday when they voted on this for Iran thing, we got 42 senators who voted on the side of terrorism. And that really is surprising when they were all together. That's exactly right, Lewis. They don't get to say never forget. And never again. Michael Berry. I feel like I get a lot of information from his show. The Michael Berry Show. fact king of ding just informed me that this song will be playing in his funeral i said ramon i'm not sure this is 
I understand if you don't want to play songs that take you too deep, but not sure this was the song to play. He said, are you kidding me? This song's going to play at my funeral. This is how I get through tragedy. I said, oh. Side of Ramon we didn't see. You can turn it up. You're on the Michael Berry Show. Go ahead. Yeah, I had a couple close encounters with two 9-11s. And first one in 2001, we were looking for real office space in New York. And we were the real estate office uh, two blocks from the Trade Center getting ready to go over there when the truck bomb went off. And uh, we felt the shaking and all the rattling and rolling. But the the worst one was 9-11 14 years ago when... One of the guys that, well, two guys that worked for me, one uh, had left the company and moved to New York City and became a sommelier at the Windows of the World. And uh, his brother remained working for us, and uh, we knew what was going on. And he, and the guy here in Houston, tried to call his brother to see if, you know, if he, what was just what was going on, and knew and knowing that he didn't work until the evening, but. Uh, he got through to him, and he'd gone in early to check everything for a party they were doing, and and um, so he caught him up on the World Trade Center and got to talk to him until he died. Um, and it was, you know, you just hard hard to remember that stuff, but it was it was close and personal and. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think is forgotten in all of this. This morning, early, I uh, put myself back in the mood of that day and, and to remember the images of that day. I watched the footage of uh, George W. Bush in the classroom when Andy Card, um, Matt Patrick was interviewing Andy Card. He does that every year on, on 9-11. And Andy Card, of course, one of the top presidential advisors and, and and well, advisors. And Andy Card was talking about the moment when he went and whispered into uh, President Bush's ear that 
the trade centers had been hit. And to watch President Bush sit there, the first thing that went through my mind, because anytime there's tragedy or emotion like that, like a lot of guys, at least a lot of guys that I'm friends with, I try to find something else to think about. I noticed that I had forgotten how impressive the teacher was, the teacher that was teaching the reading lesson. She, in fact, Ramon, I'm going to send you that. We'll, we'll load it. She is a drill sergeant. She has the class reading. Heavy set black woman. Class is all but one or two kids black, look like they're Hispanic kids. And this is what you want to see. I mean, she is on point. And it wasn't a game. It wasn't a show because the kids were prepared. And she's going through the reading on, on this cadence, and she's she's keeping time as they as they read. And then if there was a problem, she'd stop and read it again on command. I mean, she was these kids were were learning from a taskmaster. They were learning from repetition, which is how you get better at hitting a baseball or throwing a football. Or, and watching President Bush be told in his ear what happened. And watching him process with no emotion visible, watching him process that. And then when the book comes out, now we're going to read along from the book. He gets his book out and he opens it. And he's obviously not reading from the book. He's obviously using that book as a prop to be able to stare off into space and think. And I can only imagine what he was thinking at that moment. I can only imagine because he did not know what he didn't know. He had so little information. He had so little to go on. And he couldn't have known the breadth of, of what was going to happen. It is. Uh, and looking at that video again this morning, it's a seven-minute video. We'll post it on the blog at michaelberry.com. It'll be up by five minutes into this next break. Watching how young he looked, you know, presidents age during the course of their term. But to remember at the beginning of his term, less than a year into his first term, how young he looked, how vibrant he looked, how, you know, unwrinkled he looked. He was wizened by the time he left the office. But this young, vibrant, fit president sitting there. In much the same way that Kennedy would be described, but physically wasn't in that actual shape, George W. Bush was. And sitting there so fit, so content, watching those children, and then bam, the news comes. And to see his countenance barely changes, but knowing what we know now, even studying for that, it is remarkable how he kept that all together. I was reading earlier this morning about the first casualty um, of the responders, not obviously those that were originally hit. And it was a father, uh, Michael Judge, I think is his name, M-Y-C-H-A-L. And he was actually a priest who was a chaplain for the firefighters, but he was heading into that building. Just taking yourself back and remembering it's those It's that time. Lock and load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air. 
We'll get to the phone calls. How your life changed, what you were doing. Your call. Open line Friday, 9-11. But first, courtesy of Chad Nakanishi, our week in review. We were a great country through the power. With shorts or skirt, the school's superintendent saying the policy revision is to give students soft skills employers seek. Why would you do that? Somebody has some urgings that they're embarrassed about. What people need to do is relax a little. That's what they need to do. They need to calm down. Women that wear yoga pants, or girls for that matter, want to show off what they got. Here's to the bartender. We're drinking low and brown. Yeah, we're in high cotton. We're drinking low and brown. Here's two good friends. Tonight is kind of special. So much to say. Words that got away back then. Tonight, tonight, let's begin again. It's been so long. I'm glad to see you sitting here with you. I know that we were true back when the day we told each other, I'll always be your friend. So many words to so many songs get lost in the stars as time goes on. And here's to good friends. Promised they would never forget. There's so much to say, words that got away back then. Tonight, tonight, let's begin again. Let there be good times, the warmth and the Still just as strong as long ago when we met Here's to good friends who promised they would never forget Tonight, tonight, let's begin again 713-212-5874 Marcus Luttrell is profiled on a new NRA commercial. We've posted it to our blog at michaelberry.com. I know you're watching, so pay attention. You hate my freedom, my religion, and my country. You hate me for speaking my mind. You try to control me with violence and intimidation. You think you can muzzle me with fear? Don't ever confuse me for my politicians or my media. I am an American free-born and free-bred, and I will call you out for who you are, an Islamic extremist who would kill me for my beliefs. You don't intimidate me. My freedom is more powerful than anything you can possibly do, and I will never, never surrender my rights. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Your terror. I will say what I think, 
worship according to my beliefs, and raise my children how I see fit. And I defend it all with the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. I cower to no one because I am the National Rifle Association of America, and I am freedom's safest place. Jana, you're on the Michael Berry Show. Go ahead. I was calling in to tell my 9-11 story. Go ahead. And I had a baby that day at 1.30 in the afternoon. And uh, it was interesting to have a baby because, you know, it's supposed to be a, a happy, happy day. And we were there. I was already there in labor, and I was watching the Today Show because what else can you do? And when you're in labor and uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't speak from any experience there, Jenna. <laughs> well, I watched it happen live and my husband had gone out to go get me some ice chips after the first plane hit. He was, he was out of the room when the first plane hit. And when he came back, I had just told him, Oh wow, you're not going to believe there's this horrible accident. And we were watching the news and then the second plane hit and it was, it was a bizarre probably 20 minute period because it's as if time stood still everyone disappeared you know it's a hospital a labor delivery ward and it was very packed we were, it was overcrowded you know everyone wanted to do the same thing everyone else wanted to do they wanted to call their family and they wanted to you know see where everybody was and so everybody just disappeared and then my husband and I just in disbelief watched this unfold meanwhile you know I'm, I'm in labor so I I had to have the baby, but I, I will tell you, even with all everything going on, the, the anesthesiologist came in right before um, I had to get the epidural and he said, I want to be honest with you. I, I'm a little distracted and I, I want to go out and I want to call my family and I'm going to make sure everybody's okay. And then I'll come back in and do this. And he was very kind and he walked out and came back in and he did that. And everybody came in and did their jobs and, with all the chaos going on, my daughter, she was my second child, and uh, she came out, and they handed her to me. She didn't cry. She didn't make a sound. She turned her, her head and looked at me, and as if to just kind of put a calm in the room, and I, I promise you that's what it was. It was it was just a calming moment, and she's been like that ever since. She's There you go. She's your little 9-11 baby. My niece, Ruchi turns 25 today and she says she hates the date of her birthday because she she feels awkward celebrating her birthday in America you know coming from India 911 is not as big to the rest of the world as it is to us because we were hit and uh, she she grew to appreciate that when she came here eight years ago uh, let's see seven years ago but so we celebrated last night so that we wouldn't be celebrating on uh, her actual birthday. 25 years old. Probably a lot of people out there, this is their birthday, and it's a bit awkward every year. This is the Michael Berry Show.
Josh, you're on the Michael Berry Show. Go ahead, sir. Michael, September the 11th, I'm um, sitting in um, English class, and the history teacher burst into the room, turns on the TV. She's running around like a mad woman from classroom to classroom, turning on all the TVs in the school. Um, by that time, the second plane had hit, and we all knew what had happened. Um, we didn't know how the severity of it or what would happen in the future. But for me personally, um, that is the defining moment in my life. It put me in the Army and into Iraq um, 2004, 2005. Um, after it happened, I went and enlisted like a lot of a lot of guys my age did. And I enlisted as a 12 Bravo um, combat engineer. Um, I asked a recruiter, what do you guys need? And that's what he told me they needed. Um, that event sent me overseas. I had never left home before, um, never really even been out of the state. And here I was, um, 18 years old, going through boot camp, AIT, learning about demolitions and all the other tools of the trade. And, um, got over to Iraq and I'm just sitting there and it's surreal and I'm thinking to myself you know I remember seeing dad play soldier in desert storm never in a million years would I have thought that I would have been there and um you know 9-11 I think about that all the time I think about the the other guys that were sitting there with me in the recruiting station and in boot camp and the drill sergeants telling you, you know, it was complete volunteers. It was a complete army of volunteers. Everybody wanted to be there. We had no idea what the heck Iraq was, where it was. We just knew someone hurt us. Um, and we wanted to go do something. And the drill sergeants the whole time saying, you know, you guys are going, you know, we all are going, don't you, you know, Everybody just shook their head, you know, yes, drill sergeant, you guys are going to go play in the sandbox. And, you know, we went, man, and some things happened over there. You know, I'm sure a lot of guys have their experiences. But for me personally, 9-11 is twofold because, like I said before, 9-11 put me there. Um, but also 9-11 is the day my mother was born, and it's also the day she died. So during my tour um, on 9-11, I got brought home um, to bury her. So today, I, I have a lot of thoughts in my mind about 9-11 today. It, it changed my life in multiple ways. But, you know, on, on a positive, the one thing I remember the most about 9-11 is how everybody came together. There was no division. There was no racism. There was nobody burning the flag or wiping their butts with it. It was a lot different than it is today. And I, I don't know, man. Not it just it, it's a it's a it's a big day. Josh, you were a senior in high school on nine eleven. Yes. So you had just begun your senior year. Yes. What did you intend to do after you graduated high school? Uh, my intent was to uh, follow in my 
my father's footsteps. He was a, a pipe fitter, welder. Um, I knew there was a pretty big demand for that. I knew it was good money. I, I saw, um, you know, the paychecks he brought home. And But when it happened, I just I can't explain the camaraderie, the the need to do something was so overwhelming. You just, Were you the no only way. one in your peer group that, that felt that in your school? Um, no, no. Um, well, in my school, personally, I don't, you know, I wasn't really popular. I didn't really talk to a lot of people, but I know that in my group of friends, you know, there were several of us that went and joined up. There was just no way we could sit idle. And like I said, the patriotism was so overwhelming. I mean, mm. it was like that was the thing to do. You know, if you were do able to. Do you still believe it was the right thing to do? I do. How I do. long? How long after you graduated did you ship out for boot camp? Um, I graduated in um, uh, 2002, and i I had to um, I had some weight I had to drop first. I was a little overweight. Um, how much weight did you drop? I dropped about 60 pounds for this. What did you do? I just I ran. Um, dieted, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, cardio, strength training, anything the recruiters told me to do to get me in. And, um, you know, early 2004, I was in a boot camp, AIT, um, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri is where the combat engineers train. And right after that, man, it was just straight, straight to Iraq. Um, we there was no downtime. There was no here's your duty station. Here's what army life is like. It was like, bam, boot camp, bam, AIT, bam, Iraq. It was straight from dummy rounds and tracer rounds to loading up with live ammo and getting off that plane. You know, we landed in uh, Kuwait, went to FOB Doha. From Doha, we convoyed over into Iraq. Loading up with live ammunition was surreal. We're getting off the plane. You know, the heat wasn't as bad on me because I'm from Texas. So some of these other guys from New York and stuff like that, they were falling out. But, you know, for us, we were, you know, seeing the guys who'd been in country longer than we had. We're getting off the plane in fresh, clean, crisp, you know, DCUs. And the MPs did a lot of convoy escorts in the beginning. And seeing these guys with their dirty, torn up, ragged uniforms and just caked mud all over, bullet holes on the on the Humvees and IED, you know, shrapnel hits on it. And you're, you're seeing that, that, you know, those are the guys you're going to relieve the surrealness of it. Never left home before, never done anything in your life. And here you are in the army in a place where you didn't know existed before nine 11. And it's like, it's time to rock and roll. You know, it was, it was a lot of, uh, for me personally, it was 11 months of convoy support, IED response. Combat engineers got they, – they took on the roles of a lot of uh, EOD. And, um, man, 9-11 changed my life. 9-11 changed my life. And there's no doubt the, the hundreds and thousands of service members that were there specifically for reaction to 9-11 – and having the country united the way it was and seeing the way it is today just at each other's throats, man, it breaks my heart. Josh, can you hold with me for just a moment? Sure. I want to catch up with you on your life since you left the Army. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's the story I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear one of those stories right there. A kid in high school sees the news and says... Here am I. Send me. Got to say Michael Berry, man. Hey, Michael Berry. It was 2010 or 2006. I think it was 2006. Uh, Governor Rick Perry had been reelected. I don't know if it was. I mean, technically, obviously, he became the governor when President Bush uh, was elected president and stepped down. And I don't know which re-election it was, but I remember he used one of my favorite verses, which is Isaiah 6, 8, about being a servant, about stepping up when you're called. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And I've always loved the imagery of that verse, and if if you've spent any time or your pastor has on that verse, you you know that Isaiah was in the temple. And the temple was filled with smoke, and Isaiah believed he was about to die. And he saw the image of God and felt incredible shame at the life he had lived. There's reference in the earlier verses to unclean lips or unclean living. I don't remember Uh, all of it, but I I recall that he felt this deep sense of shame that here I am about to die before God, and I have not lived as I should have. I have not done what I should have done. And then God speaks to him and says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And that's when Isaiah sees his moment and says, here am I, send me. I was talking to uh, Craig Lavati, a friend of mine who is uh, uh, the only reason left to read the Houston Chronicle, and uh, he signed up for the Marines right after he graduated high school because because of all of this. And uh, it was interesting for me to hear his perspective. He's not your typical liberal member of the media. But he made the point 
that uh, for his generation, what happened in 9-11 truly changed their lives. There's not a moment with Vietnam that you can look at that says, this is what swept our generation into this awful war. It grew insidiously. It was first, you know, it was first, uh, uh, well, Eisenhower first sent advisors, and then Kennedy stepped up the advisors, and then Johnson stepped up the war, and then Nixon escalated that war. But you could say the Gulf of Tonkin, you could say a number of different moments, but there's none so much that you can you can say this is what affected that generation. And a lot of the guys in Vietnam didn't rush to sign up. They were dragged into this war. They were drafted. What made 9-11 such an important moment, for, especially for that generation, for all the talk of the awful millennials, there were a lot of young people that lived out in the cornfields that played high school football or Xbox or whatever they played at that time 14 years ago. And out came the call. And they stepped up. Here am I. Send me. And had no idea what they were getting themselves into. They just, they knew somebody needed to stand up. And they did. At 18 and 17 when they go down to do this. Now you think about that. Now that's the same age the young people stormed Normandy and went to Vietnam. But it's still good to remember. And... um I so desperately, I have sometimes a vision of who I want to call in. I don't know their name, but I I have a sense of their story. And I was, I turned off my microphone and just cocked back and listened to Josh because I know there are so many people across the country whose stories will never be told for whom Josh is delightfully typical normal. What a great story. I'm unremarkable. I wasn't popular. I didn't have a lot of friends. But the history teacher turned on the TV and our country had been attacked. New York and D.C. and Pennsylvania. Our planes, our people, my fellow Americans. And I said, I got to do something about it. I mean, isn't that, isn't that a glorious story? And it just makes you realize that there's somebody behind you in the line at the grocery store or in front of you that might have a screaming kid, that might have a tattoo that you find offensive, that might not be dressed the way you want them to be dressed or buying what you think they ought to be buying They might in some way annoy you, irritate you, or they might be invisible to you. But they've done something heroic. They have done something that if we had a moment to stop and could ask the five right questions, the answers would make you stop in your driveway and not go into the office or not go into your home 
or not going to the grocery store and stop and pause and listen to a life and a generation that was changed, and not by a draft, not by the government requiring it, but because they chose to literally say, all I have is the naked body I came into this world with. I'll give up every possession. You hand me what you think I need and send me where you think I need to go. Here am I. Send me. That's powerful. We'll hear the rest of Josh's story and lots more coming up next. The Michael Berry Show. But, uh, I just enjoy listening to it. The Michael Berry Show. Josh, yes. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, South Houston High School. That's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> what's yeah, their What's their mascot? <clears throat> the Trojan. The tro- like that kind of Trojan? No, <laughs> the warrior, the Trojan. Oh, yeah. the Trojan. Yeah. <laughs> what did you do in high school? Um, like, did you do ham radio or remote control airplanes? Or? No, I was the uh, I was the musician. I uh, played guitar, sings. I was uh, I was that guy. All right, you still do that? I do. How fat I were do. you? Um, I was uh, probably one eighty, one seventy, one eighty. How tall were you? Were you a midget? Yeah, I'm a short guy. I'm a five foot seven. Five seven one eighty is sixty pounds overweight. Yeah. Are they yeah, fielding well, you know, the, the Ethiopian track team? <laughs> I had a uh, fondness for the uh, for the soda and uh, chips. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of kids that grow up in America, 
That that's the bad one right there. That those those are the bad habits. I used to. Uh, well, this ain't about me, but I'd still want to. Tell you, I used to get a uh, Dr Pepper. We got a ten minute break after second period. I'd have a Dr Pepper when I got to school. Then I get a Dr Pepper during ten minute break. Then a Dr Pepper by lunch. So three Dr Peppers before one o'clock. So you go in, you serve. You're in for eleven months in in Iraq. Yes. You come home, and then what? Um, well, you know, as I said before, I came home under some pretty tragic uh, circumstances. So I didn't get the, I didn't get the parade. I didn't get the, uh, you know, welcome home. I had to come home, and um, it was immediately to my mother's funeral. Um, so that was, you know, that was that. Um, the the family was kind of in in shambles after that. Um, uh, I guess the army understood, uh, my situation was a little unique. Um, so I was released from active duty into the national guard and, um, to, you know, to be allowed to finish out my term there. Um, so I, I did the only thing that I could think of to do to keep my mind off of everything. Um, and that was just to go, go right to work. I ended up, uh, being recruited by the Harris County Sheriff's Department. And, um, you know, I did that for a while. How long was a while? Um, I did that for about a year and a half. Um, ended up getting to uh, go to the academy and, um, you know, you become, uh, you, get, you get hired on as a, as a white shirt jailer, go through and become a blue shirt. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I had some uh, I had some issues going on in my head that I didn't understand back then. Um, that now I know that um, you know I was suffering from PTSD and uh, like massive depression. I, you know, you, you, the veterans that I was with, you know, at least the generation, you know, I can't speak to everybody, but at least my guys and the group of people that I was around we never sought out help. We never sought out anyone to talk to because like I said, it was a volunteer thing. We knew full well where we were going. We knew we didn't join up to go to college. We didn't join up for benefits. We didn't join up for any other reason than to, you know, use me for, for what you see fit. I want to help. So, you know, we knew what we were getting into. So it wasn't like a surprise. So we didn't feel the need to go and complain and cry about our issues or turn to anyone and, you know, I'm having nightmares or I can't sleep at night or I can't control my anger. But these issues were starting to manifest themselves at work. Um, I was having outbursts. So I, it basically came down to a situation where, you know, you, you need to get help. You know, you need to. Did you get help? I didn't. Um, I didn't think I needed it. Um, Did you ever get help? I, I, You know what? Just about a month and a half ago is the very first time in my entire existence of going to the VA. Um, I've, I've never, for, for the better part of 10 years, I just dealt with everything on my own, and everything began to spiral out of control. It went from one job to the next to the next. It was... What about now? What What shape are you in now? Are you working? Oh, Michael, no, no, um, no, I'm not. I, 
I was, I just got released from the hospital. Um, I had a, um, man, I, I tried to uh, commit suicide and they, they caught me. Um, so they committed me to the hospital. Um, that's the only reason I knew the, the VA even existed. Um, you know, when I thought VA, I thought old men with beards sitting around sharing war stories. I sure. thought that's what it was. I had sure. no idea it was this network. Well, I'll um, tell you what, um, Josh, hold on just a second. I want to talk to you off air. Can you hold with me? Okay. All right. Hang tight right there. And that gives me a good opportunity. I, I want to thank my friend who is himself a veteran, Marine, who sent this to me, uh, who sent me a reminder that uh, for anybody out there that on this day or anybody, any other day uh, needs help because you served uh, with PTSD, I want to give you the number for the PTSD Foundation of America. They run a facility called Camp Hope here. You're not going to be talking to doctors and counselors. You're going to be talking to other veterans, and that works. It's 877-717-7873. Write it down if you have somebody that needs to make that call. 877-717-7873. It's that time. Lock and load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air. That last call right there is bigger than one person's call. That last call is illustrative of a larger phenomenon in America America today. If I hadn't gone back to Josh in the second segment, then what we had on our hands was a Pollyanna story of a young man in high school who signed up and served. And we could all feel good. Way to go, Josh. Bully for you. And I don't know why I went back other than I wanted to hear what Josh is doing today. And it would be nice to say, well, Josh went into welding with his dad, and now he owns the welding company, and he made a million dollars last year. But that's not not going to say that's how that story ended, because he's in his early 30s. The story's just getting started. But that's not where we are at that point, at this point in that story. There's going to need to be some things that are fixed to get there. And I think it's fair to say, we talked off air, Josh is broken right now. There's a lot of that out there. And going through it alone is an awful thing. So I just reached out to David Malsby, the executive director of of Camp Hope, and uh, he's going to work his magic and I think Josh is Josh has to take the step, but I think Josh is going to get over to Camp Hope. And uh, as I explained to him, there's nothing I can tell you. There's nothing a doctor can tell you. There's no pill you can take. There's no counseling or therapy that I think can fix what's wrong or help you get through what's wrong, like talking to other veterans. It's tried and true. It works. Something about 
the fact that someone else doesn't judge you because they've been there. Whatever you've been through, they've been through worse. That's what makes Camp Hope work. That is why I'm so passionate about it. And I nobody's ever told me this, but I'm, I always worry. Do I spend too much airtime on it? Do I wear you out on it? Do you wish I would stop talking about that and talk about the news of the day? That's why we talk about it so much. That's why we spend so much time raising money for it. That's why, by the way, October the 10th will be the open house for Camp Hope. And if you have somebody you would like to bring, that's a perfect day to bring them, although if they need help, they need to get in there sooner than that. But that's a perfect day to come over and bring someone casually to see the place and meet the people there. Um, Every time they do something like that, we find that somebody comes not believing they have a problem, but understanding that others do, and they just want to be there to support. And they realize when they get there that they need help and that they're barely hanging on themselves. And that will be a day that uh, folks will, if you don't have someone you can bring, bring yourself. I think it starts at 11 in the morning. And uh, at about 1230, they're going to um, uh, put up the sign for Berry Brigade Way. And as I said, that is not – that happens to have my name because that's the name that this company chose to put on the radio show that you and I do every day. And I say you and I because when we do things for Camp Hope, it's you doing things for Camp Hope. And so I hope you will uh, come out and be honored because that's what it is. We couldn't put every one of your names or they chose it, but they couldn't put every one of your names on there. But that's effectively what it is. That's that's what that boulevard is. That That is a road to a future for a lot of, uh, for a lot of Americans that are veterans and, uh, and you paved it. And that's that's something to be proud of. Morris, you're on the Michael Berry Show. Michael, uh, thank you for everything you do. And um, I want to share my story. Um, I grew up in New York. Um, I came here when I was uh, 14 years old. From where? In El Salvador. Okay. What's your real name? Morris. Come on. Morris Gonzalez. Morris? M-O-R-I-S? Yes. Okay. If you were going to try to double R on me, I was going to call you out. <laughs> I don't know where my mom got that name, but uh, that's what that's what I have. She probably was watching professional baseball. <laughs> All right. So you came here at 14. You were living in New York. Yeah, I, I drove a livery uh, car over there in New York. And uh, at that moment when the first plane Did hit, you say uh, a livery car? Yeah, you know, livery. Like a limo? Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's such and, a great old English word. Let, let me just let me hold on. Let me just process this for a minute. It's such no. a great old English word that only a non-native speaker would ever use. That's just fantastic. All right, go ahead. And um, I would normally be at that spot, uh, you know, the first when the first plane hit across the street from it every day. Um, except that day, uh, the passenger that I would normally bring into the city. Had a, a doctor's appointment, so I was uh, I was at the doctor's appointment at that moment, and 
I, I felt uh, pain and uh, anger and and love for this country that I had never felt before. And I felt uh, like I was a, a true American that day. And, you know, that's all I, 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 I got to say. But I think to Josh uh, and people like him, um, thanks. Thanks for everything, man. And don't give up. Well and, said. Well said. Thank you for your call, Morris. Morris Gonzalez. Good name. Good story. There's so many untold stories out there, Ramon. You ever watch Texas Country Reporter? Never? Bob Phillips, great storyteller. But what makes his story special is he gets off the main highways and gets back on the farm-to-market roads, and he tells the stories that wouldn't otherwise be told. And they're just fantastic stories. He's a great storyteller, but the stories almost tell themselves because he, he picks such good material in, in off-the-beaten-path ways and backwoods, businesses, people, and the purity of those stories. But it's uh, a day like today is more important than maybe we realize. Showers are important because that's where you come together and mark that we're bringing a, a baby into this world. I don't want to go to them. Weddings are important because that's where you mark that these two people are coming together and forming a union, and, and that's going to be a family going forward. Funerals are important. We None of us likes to go to them because that's where we mark a person's contributions to this world. These stories, Maurice, Josh, it's important. Michael Berry Show. The Michael Berry Show. Berry Show. Come on, I like him a lot. I see trees of green, red roses too. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow. So pretty 
in the sky are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands, saying how do you do? They're really saying I love you. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They learn much more than I never knew. And I think to myself. Scott, you're on the Michael Berry Show. Go ahead, sir. Yes, sir. Um, I was enlisted in the Marine Corps at the time. Uh, I'd been in about two years and a week. Um, I was stationed in California at 29 Palms. Um, and I had the news on. I was getting ready for work at 7.30. You know, it was about 7.30 California time. And um, I can remember I had the news on. I forget what channel it was exactly. But uh, they had the cameras on the towers, and he was talking about it. And I thought it was a movie. You know, I was like, why do they have a movie on the news channel? So I, I stopped, and I stopped what I was doing. And I was like, uh, you know, in the first tower, by then the first tower had already been hit, and it was smoking, and, you know, people were running everywhere. And um, right about then is when the second plane came in and hit that second tower. And... I think it was probably right about then I realized that this wasn't an accident because I was like, you know, did a plane malfunction? What was, you know, what was going on here? And then, um, so then they're like, well, we don't know what's going on. Um, so after that had happened, I, you know, I realized, of course, then that it wasn't a movie. And I'm like, okay, this, this is actually happening. You know, we didn't know it was a terrorist attack or whatever at the time. And um, so I can remember going to work that morning, probably 20 minutes after that, and uh, almost instantly I can remember just the atmosphere of the entire base changing. I was, I don't know if I said this already, but I was stationed at uh, 29 Palms, California, and um the atmosphere of the entire base changed. It just kind of, there, there was a, like a sense of urgency. And it, it seemed like almost overnight, we went from green camouflage to tan camouflage. Um, and then, the, you know, the physical makeup of the base kind of changed too, because there wasn't, you couldn't park within you know, 50 feet of any building, you know, no personal vehicles. Um, and they put concrete barriers in front of all the buildings. Um, you didn't come and go out of the base as freely as you could. Uh, a lot of that changed. Um, and then two years later, uh, in January of 03, um, I went to Iraq. How long did you serve in Iraq? Oh, uh, it was just six months. Um, I went... So I was advanced party, so they sent me a little bit early um, ahead of the rest of the uh, company over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, I got on a plane, and we flew out of Miramar, and we flew to – I sailed out of uh, Diego Garcia's where we ended up and got on a merchant marine ship, and we got all our equipment ready. And, you know, so we offloaded the ship in Kuwait, 
And uh, I was in Iraq itself for about three months. And, it, you know, before that, I was in Kuwait. You know, we sat in Kuwait in a makeshift tent basically for about three months. And you you were there for six months. Was there firing, live fire during that time? Um, Not really. There there wasn't that much resistance. We we invaded um, we invaded the southern border with I I believe it was third either the first or third infantry division of the army. So they had tanks with us because uh, I was an LAB mechanic, and um, so we we invaded and you know. It, the actual invasion and crossing the border took, you know, a couple of days or something. We actually sat south of the border for about a day. And uh, and I can remember they told us that Bush said, you know, Saddam, you got this is your last chance to give up. If you don't give up now, we're coming at you. You know, we're, we're going to do this. So, But, no, there, there wasn't that much resistance. Um, we got in a couple of firefights here and there, and, you know, there's a few, uh, couple of mortars, you know, fired at us a little bit, but nothing, nothing real major. We, uh, we cleared some buildings and they, they have these out in the desert. They would have these, um, like, like, I guess you'd call them spider holes just, and they dig them and they'd only be about five foot deep and they would be covered with kind of like corrugated sheet metal and plywood or whatever they had and i can remember distinctly the first one i went into it, it went down uh you know a couple feet and it, it was basically like an l shape and it turned to the left you know at the end of it it probably went down um once you could stand up and it, it probably went four feet straight and then it turned left into like a small room uh probably you could stretch your arms out probably two and a half times, to, you know, to touch each wall. And there's nobody in there, uh, you know, so we didn't, I didn't encounter any uh, direct fire myself. There was some, you know, there's some pop shots here and there and stuff. So, What do you do now? I'm a mechanic. Where? Automotive mechanic, diesel. For whom? Um, I work at a shop in the Woodlands. Um, and the owner is actually a Marine, too. He served in Vietnam. And uh, there's just a couple of us here, and and he's been here for twenty some odd years. Uh, and I just started here about six months ago. So, what were you doing before that? Uh, I've always been a mechanic. Does it pay well? Um, uh, it does when there's work because I get paid hourly commission. Hmm. So, um, if the work's here, we get paid pretty good. What's your so, best year? Uh. Probably about fifty-five thousand. And how many hours do you work on average per week? Um, probably about fifty, fifty, fifty-five. We work, you know, five days a week here. Hmm. But it hmm. depends on what shop you go to. So you know, you can put in Saturdays. You can, you know, a lot of times I have keys to the shop, so I can come in when I want. And, you know, on the weekends, extra time or whatever, or stay as late as I want, pretty much. So. You have kids? No, sir. Married? No. Homo? No. No, sir. Your mom wanted me to ask that. <laughs> no. No, sir. What do you do for fun with all that time and money? Um, 
Well, I wouldn't say I have all that money. I, tools are very expensive. Um, I pretty much I got my own project car. I, you know, I mess with cars on my own time. And, what do you got? Quick. Uh, 70L Camino. Oh. I'm building a full car myself, building a full chassis. Gonna have a big block, doing all my own suspension. What you got going on tonight? Um, I'm actually gonna call my mom. It's her birthday today. Uh-huh. Um, so that's about it. Why don't you come out to Redneck Country Club? I'll take care of your tickets. Hold on, I'll get you details. Little Ray Wiley Hubbard and me and Scott will tell stories about his El Camino. The information that I get from the show that I don't seem to get from other places. The Michael Berry Show. Summer has come and passed. The innocent can never last. Wake me up when September ends. Like my father's come to pass. Seven years has gone so fast Wake me up when September ends Here comes the rain again Falling from the stars Drenched in my pain again Becoming a But never forgets what I lost Wake me up when September ends Robin, you're on the Michael Berry hey. Show. Go ahead. Michael Berry, uh, 9-11-2001 should have been a day of happiness. It was going to be. Uh, I was working for Compact. Compaq and HP were merging. We were having a wonderful party in that afternoon. I had clients coming in. I was going to have a presentation with them. It was going to be a great day. Then when the second plane hit, I was in the office, and then the clients came in. The clients were Japanese. The Japanese knew what was happening, but they were very nice. They were very cordial, and they understood. They actually, you could tell that they, they knew what we were going through. So the, instead of happiness, it was now a time of sorrow and, it was, and fear. All I could think about is getting to my kids and to my family at night. But after that, it set in anger. And today I am still angry because we don't even understand who our enemies are. So I, you can probably hear the anger in my voice. Wow. No, I think there are a lot of people that share that anger. There's a lot of frustration. When you hear a story like Josh, a young man, naive at that time, with the purest of intentions, loves his country, willing to be stripped of every possession, friendship, and control of his time and his body for this country, and to know that out of that, I don't think they were used well. I think they were used in the right ways. I don't think they were used with the same purity of spirit that led them to sign up. I'm pretty angry about it, too. When Barack Obama's announcing we'll take in 10,000 more Syrians after we've already taken in 70,000 displaced people 
in a war zone where both sides are evil? And you want to bring that to American soil, to the neighborhoods of people that fought there and came home to their refuge? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now you're bringing that group of people here, knowing that some, if not many of them, will be part of those efforts? No. I don't don't think there's anything wrong with being angry. Not a bit. Not one bit. Dave, you're on the Michael Berry Show. Go ahead, sir. Hello, Michael. Uh, I grew up in the area 20 miles east of Manhattan, uh, North Shore, Long Island, and uh, actually watched some of the construction of the Twin Towers. Uh, Fast forward to 2001, and eerily, my son and I, 10 years old at the time, had been up to the Sabaro Pizza Restaurant on the North Tower in late June uh, six. I guess 10 weeks before 9-11. My younger brother has been involved with the largest fire department on Long Island as uh, leadership for uh, 18 out of 40 years. And at the time, he was uh, deputy chief of the department. And uh, I was a road warrior working off of Highway 6 for a big oil company happened to be the only week that fall that I didn't travel, and he and I were talking when he got a page over his emergency pager that a plane had hit the World Trade Center. And we talked, and we said, oh, it's got to be a, you know, a twin engine, turbo, prop, something, something small. Never had any clue what it was. So he immediately three-wayed us in with my sister in St. Louis, who was watching the Today Show when the second plane hit the tower. Uh, The first night, his department, uh, many of them backfilled into a firehouse in Queens as the New York City Fire Department folks were down at ground zero. The second day, he went in and did a double shift uh, from 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock the following morning at ground zero to spell some folks. Part of his leadership, they do a lot of annual meetings and, you know, meeting with underwriter laboratory and fire prevention people and folks like that. And so he had gotten to know quite a quite a bit of the brass of the New York City Fire Department. And I remember to this day and take it to, to the grave with me, his comment when we were talking about three weeks later was, I don't have enough suits to go to all the funerals of the folks in leadership that I knew that perished on 9-11. We've been back up since and watched reconstruction of the Freedom Tower up there as late as last year. Uh, I've been in the the Ground Zero Museum, and it's uh, quite a a moving tribute. Uh, Anybody ever gets up into the New York area, they certainly need to put that in as a must-do to honor the 
the people that perished that day in that terrorist act. <clears throat> You know, it's, uh, I don't have a good word, amazing, interesting, fascinating, awe-inspiring. I don't know that there's not one that comes off as trite to realize how many people that get up and do their jobs every day, got up and did their job that day, but in a way that leaves you literally in awe. little update on Josh. We have him in touch with... Uh, Camp Hope, and uh, your prayers for Josh. I think that um, I'm hopeful we're going to be able to get him some help and get him back on his feet. And I think that's the least he deserves. We'll keep you informed. He provides a unique perspective, I think. The Michael Berry Show. Michael Berry.
right-wrong issue, and America has constantly been on the side of what's right, because when it comes down to it, this is about keeping faith 
with the idea of America. Because America's an idea, isn't it? I mean, Ireland's a great country, but it's not an idea. Great Britain's a great country. It's not an idea. That's how we see you around the world, as one of the greatest ideas in human history, right up there with the Renaissance, right up there with crop rotation on the Beatles' White Album. <laughs> the idea, the American idea, it's an idea. The idea is that you and me are created equal. It will ensure that an economic recession need not become an equality recession. The idea that life is not meant to be endured but enjoyed. The idea that if we have dignity, if we have justice, then leave it to us, we'll do the rest. This country was the first to claw its way out of darkness and put that on paper. And God love you for it because there aren't, these aren't just American ideas anymore. There's no copyright on them. You brought them into the world. It's a wide world now. I know Americans say they have a bit of the world in them, and you do. The family tree has lots of branches. But the thing is, the world has a bit of America in it too. These truths, your truths, they're self-evident in us. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.